Hope that didn't hit too close to home for some of y'all. We're doing a two-part series. I'm wrapping it up today. It's called uh, Fixing Family. And uh, it's probably a bad name for it because I'm not encouraging to go out and try and fix people. You probably know how badly that tends to go. Uh, And last week I talked about how prayer is a vehicle for us to connect with God and that that gives us a place where we're centered, where we're rooted, uh, where we have something to offer people in our lives. And um, when we talk about um, today's lesson on uh, loving brothers and sisters, it it has a similar theme that what we're looking for in our, our Christian life is not so much how do we fix or change other people, but rather how do we love them? How do we have the strength and the courage and the conviction to love them in the way that Christ taught us to do so. And it's not easy uh, because Jesus not only gives us the the commandment to love other people as He has loved us, uh, but He spells it out. He gives us very clear markers and ideas of how that love would look. Remember He said, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now that's something that we probably learned early on in life. But have you thought about that lately, what that would look like? To actually love the people that live close to you, the people that live across the street, uh, those neighbors that, you know, for all practical terms, you probably don't even know their names. If you can name eight people that live around you, I want to talk with you after the service. Most people can name two. And uh, when you think about the many people that you are spending time around but you don't really know, then it becomes even more clear that Jesus' command to love your neighbor as yourself is something that we all could find some room for improvement upon, right? And so, uh, we are going to talk about how do, we, how do we love brothers and sisters? Um, it is always fascinating to me how people who grew up in various households read the Bible in different ways. For example, uh, my dad is a older brother of brothers. He has two younger brothers. And uh, he reads the Bible like most people, but there's two stories in particular that just bug him. Uh, one of them is the story of the, the two sons that the father says, can either of y'all help me? And one of them says, I will, but he doesn't do it. And then the one that says that he won't, he shows up and Jesus says, which one did the right thing? And my dad always shakes his head like, oh my gosh. And then the other one, the the other story that really bothers him is the story of the prodigal son. Because if you're an older brother, the idea of your younger brother getting half of the household money, blowing it, and then being invited back is just absurd, you know? If you have no understanding of grace, that is a story that really bothers you. Um, I am a uh, younger brother. I have an older sister. She's three years older than me. I love her dearly. And um, I will just leave it at, we get along way better now that we no longer share a household or anything, right? And maybe that's the case for you. Uh, But when we talk about loving brothers and sisters, we're not only talking about those people that we grew up with, uh, but when you read the Bible, we find that God loves us so dearly. How great is the Father's love that He would pour out His love upon us, lavish it upon us, that we would be called children of the Lord Most High. Uh, that we'd be called children of God. And so we're not only talking about our own families of origin, but the families that we've married into, the families that are um, our church family, and then our brothers and sisters that are our neighbors, our co-workers, et cetera, down the line. 
So that's what we're going to be talking about today. And um, there's this beautiful love song that happens in the letter 1 John. If the book of Romans has all the nuance and the grandeur and the thought of Beethoven's ninth, then 1 John is a sappy pop love song. It has about three verses and a redundant chorus. And John is a great preacher. He does what great preachers do. He repeats himself. He does what great preachers do. He repeats himself. And over and over again in 1 John, he has a consistent theme. He says, you know, uh, we know God's love. God loves us. We obey God's commandments because we love God. And he repeats that over and over again throughout the letter. And we're going to pick up in chapter 4. And if you have not read 1 John and you want to go back and read it, just remember it's a song that has a lot of redundancy. It has a lot of uh, repetition to it. Uh, But there's a specific part in 1 John chapter 4, and if you've got your Bibles, you're going to want to read along. It's going to look like a long scripture, but like I said, it it has the same kind of theme. It has the same kind of story that just works itself out in a number of different angles. It says, Dear friends, let's love each other because love is from God, and everyone who loves is born from God and knows God. And so what we're talking about is that If we can love each other, then it's evidence that we have God's love in our lives and that we have knowledge of God. We have an understanding of who God is, that more than just a mystery or a distant idea, that we've experienced God's love and that that has compelled us and motivated us to love other people. says, the person who doesn't love God does not know God because God is love. This is how the love of God is revealed to us. God has sent His only Son into the world so that we can live through Him. This is love. It is not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son as a sacrifice that deals with our sins. And so, like I said, John does a beautiful job of saying more than just vague understandings of love. He's saying this is what love looks like. He looks like Jesus Christ who came into our world to serve us and to save us and to heal us and to redeem us. More than just saying that we are loved, God has shown us through His Son, Jesus Christ, uh, that we are loved, and that uh, it says this is love. It is not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son a sacrifice that deals with our sins. In verse 11, it goes on, dear friends, if God loved us this way, we also ought to love each other. Okay, I'm going to break off for just a moment and look at one specific word that's here, ought, that we ought to love. And why I want to lift it up to you is that if you uh, talk with people who are not believers, who maybe they're atheists or agnostics, and uh, that when you talk to them about why would we love, why would we treat each other with kindness or generosity, why would we care for other people, um, love is not within the equation because they have no basis for which to, uh, to commend it. Uh, like a cut flower, they can say that it's something that's going to be good, something that's going to be great, but it's not rooted in anything that's going to last. And when John talks about love, he says that our love is based on something else. It's based upon God's love for us, and that we have that as the source and the root and the way in which our hearts can be overflooded with God's love, and that is why we're able to love other people. And so when he talks about ought, He's saying, that's the why, that's why we love, because God loves us, okay? Now, 
Back on track. I'm not going to serve up any more rabbit for Thanksgiving, okay? We'll, we'll go back. It says, if we love each other, God remains in us, and his love is made perfect in us. This is how we know that we remain in him and he remains in us, because he's given us a measure of this spirit. We have seen and testified that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. If any of us confess that Jesus is God's Son, God remains in us, and we remain in God. We have known and have believed the love of God that God has for us. God is love. If you're ever, uh, have you ever been, just been amazed by preachers or Christians that are able to memorize specific verses in the Bible? Like you meet people that can recite the entire book of Colossians. I've always looked at this particular verse and been very thankful for it because if you can remember 1 John 4.16, all you have to recite is, God is love, and you have a memory verse. Isn't that great? Like you can impress your friends at Thanksgiving this week. 1 John 4.16, God is love. It says, uh, those who remain in love remain in God, and God remains in them. This is how we love has been perfected in us so that we can have confidence on the day of judgment because we are exactly the same as God is in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear expects punishment. So when we look at this particular passage, what we have is this this wonderful and beautiful gift. Uh, Many times people have some doubts or they have some fears about whether or not God is actually at work in their lives. Uh, They wonder if God's actually doing anything in their lives, anything in their world. Uh, They have doubts and fears about whether or not they are practicing their faith in the correct way, uh, or they have concerns about whether or not there is anything after this life when they die. They would say, I don't know if there is a life that's eternal. I don't know if if there is a life that is eternal, would I be included in that? And many times people will say, well, you know, I've said a prayer uh, or I've got a certificate or something like that, uh, but I really don't know. And the gift that's here, which really is a very Methodist, very Wesleyan way of looking at things, is that John spells it out. He says, if you're you're wondering about your faith, if you are questioning your salvation, if you're wondering about how you are with God and, and how your soul is with God, he says, the basic bottom line question is twofold. He says, one, uh, is your heart filled with love? And are you not afraid? Do you have fear? And he says, if, if you are, your heart is filled with love, then that should be evidence that God is at work in your life because love comes from God. If your heart is filled with God, then you've experienced, you've, you've come to see that God can do great things in your life because there's probably times that you can look back and you can say, I was not loving, I was hateful, I was envious, I was boastful, I was all these things, but because of what God has done for me and how God has worked in my life, my life is now filled with God's love and I have love for other people. And that each year we should be able to take our spiritual pulse and say, in fact, I'm more loving than I used to be. I'm more loving of God, I'm more loving of other people. Do you see how that works itself out? Rather than being a matter of just a simple prayer or just a certificate, we have clear evidence that God is at work in our lives if we have love in our hearts and we have love for other people. It would be so cool if we had like a Geiger counter, like you know, a pH test that we could put against new members of the church and say, you're at a five, trying to get you to a seven, right? It would be so neat to be able to do that. 
I, you know, I, I wish, I'm, I'm glad that's not there because y'all would be all, well, let's measure up the preacher, see how he's doing this week. Uh, but what John says is that, you know, we have this clear understanding of where we are in our lives and in our faith because is, is our heart filled with God's love? Has it been shed abroad within our hearts? And are we expressing that love in tangible and clear ways to other people? Right? Okay, so if you got that, and I hope you did, then I want to show you why this matters so much, okay? Because if we don't have that, if we don't have that evidence, if we don't have that experience, if we haven't experienced God's love in our hearts, then there's two clear uh, dangers that we're always going to face, all right? If we don't have God's love, if we haven't experienced that, if we don't know for sure, have some knowledge of God, have shown our love for other people, then there's two things that we're going to, the two traps we're going to fall into. The, the one that comes first is the idea of being moral, okay? And um, when we think about moral, it means that we're saying that because of our religious beliefs, because of who we know, what we've accomplished, um, the rituals we know, uh, maybe we have some knowledge of the Bible or whatever the case might be, that that makes us moral, it makes us superior to other people, which is not love, right? Uh, when we look at other people and we say, you know, our God is better, our religion is better, the way we live our lives is far superior to other people, uh, we're more moral than you are, that's clearly not what love looks like, okay? So that's one danger, is that, that moral, the other side of things is, is the other side of it is, is more of a secular approach, which says that, well, you know, how you love is up to you. Uh, who you love, how you love, how you live your life, that's, that's all decided upon you because there's nothing that really could say otherwise. I mean, if you have a particular religion or a lack of religious beliefs or how you vote, how you live, how you do anything, really doesn't matter because there's nothing that connects it or judges it or, or says that there's a better way. There's that, that secular approach to it. And that's not love as well because it, it lacks any kind of character. It lacks anything that defines it. It lacks anything that, that causes us to go beyond ourselves. When we say what is right and good in the secular sense, we're basically saying what is going to help us the most. And so the gospel is completely unique, and it says that because of what God has done for me, I can't act like I'm superior to other people because my understanding is that my salvation is all based upon God's love for me, God's grace for me, this free gift that I did not deserve, that I did not earn, that I can never achieve. And so I can basically look at other people in other religions or other walks of life and say, of course they do things better than I do. They're probably better parents than I am. They're probably better uh, number of things than I am, but my salvation is based in God's love for me and the grace he has shown me through Jesus Christ. And that more than just being an easy out or an easy way to say, why can't we just get along because of God's love for us, I basically have this approach to life that says I have to find tangible ways to love the people that are near me, my neighbors, my friends, my family, and those around me. So keep that in mind as we move through, forward through the rest of this passage, you know, that our love is based in God's love for us. Uh, all right, so here's the tough one. Y'all ready? No, Rick, we're ready for Thanksgiving. We're not ready for this. All right. Um, it says, we love God because God loved us first. Those who say, I love God and hate their brothers or sisters are liars. 
After all, those who don't love their brothers and sisters whom they have seen can hardly love God who they have not seen. So if you were to look at this passage and begin to spell it out, you would say, okay, so if I hate my brother or sister, you know, my family, uh, then something's not gone right in accordance with what God's trying to do in my heart. And then you can go ahead and expand that out and say, you know, if I have hatred toward anyone, things aren't following in line with what God desires for my life either. That anyone that I hate, a coworker, a boss, a different people group, however you want to spell it out, it says if that's the case for you, then, then something's not going well with you and your relationship with God. Now, if that's troubling for you, you know, maybe you're looking forward to this week in Thanksgiving and you're thinking, I love them all except that, that one person, that one that owes me money, that one that did that thing, that one that consistently eats more of the cranberry sauce than they're supposed to, you know, whatever the case might be, then, then hang on because there's good news here at the end. It says, uh, this commandment we have from him those who claim to love God ought to love their brothers and sisters also. And what we find here um, is if you are struggling with that, if you are, have hatred in your heart, if you have anything in terms of sin that's uh, based toward other people or within yourself, um, there is a powerful message that's within this, this beautiful letter. And it's, it says that when we do believe, when we do trust in God, that we're able to love people that we have had long-time grudges against, we're able to forgive people that we never thought possibly could forgive, all because of the great love that God has shed abroad in our hearts. And words fail me when I talk about the love that God has for people. I'm reminded of the great theologian Martin Luther, and he said, you know, if we could just get a taste of God's love, if we could just get just a moment of it, what a tremendous difference that would make for each of our hearts and our lives. Because it's a love that is far greater than anything our world talks about. It's a love that is higher than the heavens, greater than the depths of the sea, far more wonderful than we ever possibly could imagine. I mean, it's that great, the kind of love that God has for us. And when we talk about sharing that love, it's kind of like this, you know, just imagine for a moment that throughout the history of the world, no one ever discovered that chocolate tasted good. All right, just, just bear with me. I know some of you who are chocolate lovers are like, heretic, all right. Um, just imagine throughout the history of the world that, that no one had ever discovered that chocolate was good, right? And that somehow or another, you experienced it for the first time. You got just a little taste of chocolate. Now, if you did that, and then you found out that there was a, a far greater supply than you ever thought imaginable, you would begin to do what? You would begin to share it with other people, right? <laughs> Except that brother, right? And you would say, you gotta try this, you gotta try this. And, and they would say, I don't know, you know, all my life, broccoli's been good to me. I like broccoli, all my friends, we're broccoli eaters. You know, we, we're kind of convinced of that being great. And, but then, you know, you, you share that with somebody else, and they're like, oh, that's, that's good stuff. And then it begins to spread and to be shared, and you begin to get a sense of, man, if we could just grow in our love for God, if that would become what we savor most in our lives, and that we found ways in which to share that with the people around us, and we could say, man, I, I don't know why we ever 
would go back to broccoli, <laughs> right? But this is exactly what John is saying. He's saying, you know, if, if God's love takes hold of our lives, then all of a sudden we're able to not only share God's love, but we're no longer afraid. We're no longer fearful. But instead, it's like life has just been made so far easier that the relationships, the brothers and sisters in our lives, we're able to love them in a far greater way than we ever thought possible, all because of what God has done for us. And so if you're struggling today, if you're hurting, if you're thinking to yourself, Rick would never preach this sermon if he had met my sister, then what I want to encourage you to do is to dig deeper into this great news of Jesus Christ, to remember how greatly God loves you, that you are His children, that He loves you, loves you, loves you, loves you, that He's fond of you. I mean, think about that. There are people in my life that I can love and I can care from from a distance, right? <laughs> and then there's people that I can spend about five minutes with before I'm like, oh, there's other things I need to do. And God's saying, I love you so much, I want to spend eternity with you. That I love you so much that I have given you my son for your salvation. That's how deeply we are loved. So let us pray. Most gracious Heavenly Father, we pray and ask in this time that you would continue to fill our hearts with your great love. Help us to know it, help us to experience it, help us to trust in it. And Father God, we pray and ask also that you would help us to begin to heal any of those relationships in our life in which we do have hatred for other people, where we hate them out of fear or out of reluctance or just apathy, Lord. We just pray and ask that you would help us to change our hearts by your great love. Help us to forgive, help us to make peace so that we can be children, brothers and sisters, part of the great creation that you have made. In Christ's name we ask. Amen.